What's that place you've always wanted to try? While you're there, sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Welcome to a special episode of On Second Watch. It is special in that I just wrapped up an interview with one of the most humble and lovable directors I have ever had the privilege of talking to for our podcast, and that is writer, director, and producer Brian Levant. I mean, everything about this guy just screams awesome. I, I grew up watching so many of his projects that I never knew he was a part of until I started doing some homework. Shows I used to watch on Nick at Night like uh, Happy Days or Mork and Mindy to some of his films I used to watch constantly as a kid like Problem Child 2, especially Beethoven, The Flintstones, and of course 1996's Jingle All the Way. He was extremely generous with his time and shared some wonderful stories about the creative process to directing a big budget movie like Jingle All the Way, uh, playing to the cast's strengths and and how he deals with the critics. Uh, He's completely honest about who his audience is and who he cares about entertaining, and it's awesome. Uh, We also touch on how the entertainment industry has evolved over the years, including some of the massive shifts towards streaming and where we may go from here. We also get to hear a bit about his upcoming book, My Life in Toys, which will be coming out in the spring of next year. I'm excited for you to hear this one, and I'm already looking forward to talking to him again when we take a look at Beethoven next year, which is already nearing its 30th anniversary. Eh, Talk about nostalgia. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I did talking to Brian and learning a little bit more about what went into the filming of Jingle All the Way. And now, without further ado, let's explore the magic of movie nostalgia with an interview with Brian Levant. The day in the life of a director, I, I you know, I hear a lot and I, I see a lot about the things that, um, you know, a, a director is kind of like the project manager, the all-encompassing, you know, takes care of everything. For for TV and, and movies, you know, and the experiences that you've had, you know, can you, can you dive in just at a 50,000 foot view level of, you know, what is it? What is a director, and how do you go about taking an idea or something that's on paper and turn it into something that you know it can be seen across the world? Well, uh, that, boy, that's a big question. All right, <laughs> let's let's start. Your first thing you said was uh, the the difference between film and television. Yeah, and te- television, since it grew. Its conventions grew from live television, which grew from uh, the theater, Mm -hmm. basically. They were putting cameras on live performances uh, as if you were being performed on stage. And thus, in the theater, the writer is king and not the director. And and in television, uh, the writer remains the king. In in, In the 50s, you know, the sponsors had all the power and the, the sponsors and the producers ha- had the power, but slowly the effect of people like Patty Chayefsky, Rod Serling, and, 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 and believe it or not, uh, Bob Mosier and Joe Connolly of leave it to beaver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that they were, they were people who owned their own properties, whose, whose work as a writer uh, established them as the owner who established them as the person who charted the direction and the director in many respects, especially, you know, when you're talking about shooting a live TV show and my 
experience on videotape shows is limited and directing them even less so. But you're sitting 700 feet away from people watching them on a monitor. And when you get to a certain point, you snap your fingers and 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 the camera angle changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you're directing traffic. Yeah. Uh, and and just because you're not there and because you do your preliminary work in a rehearsal hall rather than on a sound stage in the in the real sets it it, it uh, you're not running the thing the writers are the writers have final say writer producers have final say on the script with you know with network uh, uh, and studio influence of course and, and their staffs as well but but uh, uh you know the final cut is determined by the writers mm-hmm. and the producers. In films, the director is king. Uh, as, as, as you just said, directors are the, you know, the project manager and everything flows through them, through, through, through pre-production, through production, through post, uh, you know, with, with often, often huge numbers of people supporting them. But, you know, it always comes down to and, and and you spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in pre-production meetings and you know it's like jingle all the way and so you know and, and then you come to the part in the script where he's flying and he crashes through the window and and, and, and passes over a family's Christmas dinner and out the window and across the street and slams into a wall and everybody turns to you and they go so how are we going to do that? <laughs> and you have to have an answer <laughs> or construct one with other people through uh, a lot of means. And then you you design that and storyboards to help answer those questions. And then you take each board and you say, OK, so how are we going to shoot him from overhead, <laughs> passing over the table and and and, and having the, the jets pack, uh, uh, creating chaos in the room. Yeah. And so, okay, so we're going to get six special effects guys uh, with, with air blowers. Uh, and we're going to, and we're going to put them on the way they saw, uh, you know, do a float trick and a magic act. He's mm-hmm. lying on, on a board and, and it goes this way and we shoot this way. And then we paint out the little arm <laughs> underneath him. And, and and then we're going to come outside the set and we're going to build a, a, a sugar glass window and and we're going to put them through it. Right. But that means above it that we got to have wires. So there can't be a wall above the window. So we're going to have to paint that in uh, in CGI or, or, or a matte shot. Um, and, and it goes like this. Uh, I just looked at Jingle. I pulled out the book uh, and it's 108 pages. <laughs> like that, where, you know, there wasn't an easy shot in the movie, mm-hmm. basically. And so all these things have to be have to be figured out in advance and planned intricately in order to accomplish shooting those 107 pages in 84 days, <laughs> which was, you know, almost twice as long as the Flintstones, for instance, if that gives you any idea of the degree of difficulty involved in that one. But, you know, and and in TV, you know, the director can scoot pretty free of, of disaster and the writers pay the price. And and in the movies, the director is, is the one who fingers are pointed at when things don't go as planned and, and, and the box office is disappointing, as was the case with Jingle all the way. Right. 
Yeah. And it, that's the thing is it, oftentimes, and when we're reviewing shows, you know, we, we'd look at, you know, what does, what does the aggregate score from Rotten Tomatoes say this movie is? What, but what do the people say? We care more rotten about tomatoes is rotten to me. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I think my highest score is like an 18 or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, we... uh, uh, you know, so I would, I always said, and it, and it, and, and it was true, even though it needed to be. Uh, I really didn't care what critics thought. I wasn't making my films for critics. I was making them for audiences, and particularly audiences of parents and kids together, yeah. and parents who whose pleasure comes from seeing their children enjoy something. And, yeah. and that was the root uh, uh, of my satisfaction, not whether or not Roger Ebert, my hometown uh, uh, critic, liked me, and he hated everything I ever did. <laughs> uh, uh, Gene Siskel, once, his, his partner on TV, the, the other critic in Chicago, I once sat next to him at, at a screening of Beethoven in Chicago, and he laughed and this and that, trashed me oh. <laughs> in the review. So... Uh. You can't, you know. Right, yeah. Well, that's what we don't, we, so, so, so really, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is, uh, to me, it's been rotten. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And I think we've, we've. Yeah, you understand. Okay, yeah. yeah I'm sure most of the people you talk to here have Rotten Tomatoes scores like Exactly, mine. yeah. We, um, we, we drag them through the coals. I, I just, you know, the, the critics are one thing, but what we care about, you know, we focus on the nostalgia. So obviously we look back to the things that really impacted us. Uh, growing up as kids, as teenagers, what what really hits us? And when I was looking back at your filmography, and I saw, I saw Beethoven listed out there, and I, I had no idea that you were part of that movie, and that was such a huge part of my childhood because it was, yeah. I had that VHS running all the time. It was, I love that movie. So it was, it's you know, those are the kind of things. Like I don't, as a kid, I don't care about the the critics. I don't care what the score is. I care is like, does it hit me personally? And it does, and I can't wait to eventually share that movie with my daughters who are, you know, five and three right now. So we're about the age, I think they can enjoy that kind of a movie. So. Yeah, no, I just, uh, uh, my nephew uh, showed it to his eight-year-old twins, and, and they adored it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that movie's coming up on its uh, 30th anniversary. That's year. crazy. Wow. It has a lasting effect, and, and that's why I think nostalgia is so important, is even though, yeah, some movies probably don't age well um, over time, I think Jingle All the Way, I think, has a special piece because it, it's so very nineties with um, like a lot of the technologies that he use. Obviously the, the there's fighting over pay, there's pay phones everywhere. You know, you don't see that anymore. I know it's, it's a big piece of it, you know, and that, you know, talking to a radio DJ or people calling in for radio contests, it's not as common anymore. So it's those snapshots in time, I think are, are great. You know, when like we, we talked about clueless earlier this year, it's just like, it's a snapshot of the nineties. And I feel like jingle all the way is a snapshot of Christmas in the nineties uh and it's 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 still fun you know you, you can relate to it today i mean there's all this craziness going on for like the playstation right now um everyone trying to get it and paying exorbitant amount of money on like facebook trying to find somebody that's going to sell it and you can kind of see some of those those things going on in, in jingle all the way but i i love how taking the idea of doing everything you can to try to find the toy and how it escalates to the point of just like insanity you know, just, you know, starting out, he's trying to find it, you know, just the way he can, just door to door. Then it's a contest. And then it's the the creepy Santa, you know, mafia type of type of thing. And then becoming Turbo Man himself. It's just, it's a lot of fun. Uh, no, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
but finding the toy is is what Hitchcock would call the MacGuffin. Yeah. Here, <laughs> it is just the thing that propels uh, the story. Mm-hmm. And and notice we never actually accomplish our goal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to me, it was the way to do a very old fashioned movie, and that it is a pure chase film. Yeah. And it is nothing but trying to trying to chase this object, which in it, you know, it could have been ninety different things. Sure, you, you know what I'm saying, and you and it, and it would have gone much the same way. I mean, you know, I mean, you could have become Elmo in yeah, right, exactly <laughs> in another era. To me, that that's that's that was the incentive and the drive creatively it wasn't to find a Turbo Man. It was to Follow in the footsteps of of a Max Senate school of comedy, and just try and ramp up the emotion and 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 the stakes uh, and the tension, and and keep going and keep going and keep pushing the wall. And maybe that's why it was too much for people <laughs> at the time. You know, I'm very heartened by the fact that what was a a very disappointing. Uh, box office to Fox to me to everyone involved uh, that that uh, you know worldwide we made uh, 100 and, 122 million dollars uh, which is I think about what Arnold was paid uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. and you know that that it it just didn't grab people the way it it was supposed to but over time. It seems to have had that effect. People your age, I hear from a lot. I spend a lot of time on campuses. It's the only thing anybody ever asked me to sign. (laughs) (laughs) They're VHS copies of Jingle All the Way. Sure. Uh, And and it has found uh, a place in people's heart. And, and, you know, when people write about it today, it's much different Mm -hmm. than when they, they wrote about it or experienced it. Uh, then I, hell, I let's re-release it. See what it does now. I bet it'll do about the same. Right. <laughs> um, and I had, you know, it's it's been a little while, but um, I really forgot how funny this movie was. Like uh, Sinbad, especially. I think he was just was flawless in his performances. And I was I was curious how much how much did you kind of let Sinbad be Sinbad in this in this role, or how much of it was like maybe you know scripted? Uh, no, or I, he, I always look. Uh, you plan, you plan my, for every minute detail, and then when inspiration strikes, you go with it. Yeah. And, and a lot of things, he he just said, "Hey, brother man," uh, call, call, calling Robert Conrad Barnaby Jones, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, things that just came off the cuff of, out of his energy mm-hmm. and, and his skill. Great role, Phil Hartman as well. Yeah, you know uh, the 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 line line when he uh, you know when Arnold's caught in, in the neighbor's house trying to steal the Turbo Man, and the wife has had enough of him, and they're walking out, and there is just supposed to walk out, and instead Phil Hartman stops, and luckily, luckily the camera operator stayed with him, uh, so he'd be in focus, and he turns and says. You can't bench press your way out of this one. <laughs> gold, gold, roll with it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so you got to give people leeway. You know, Arnold, not a great improviser. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, 
the one of the most interesting things about Arnold is how prepared yeah. he he is. That, that he showed up on the first day and he knew every one of his lines, and everybody else is in the script. He memorized the script, oh, wow. made it a lot easier for him as he went on. You know, I've been on movies where the act the leads show up and the first thing they say to you is, "What are we shooting today?" Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so so just uh, which one would you rather work? <laughs> the ultimate professional uh, uh, or or somebody who didn't care enough to even look at the script? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's I, I think. Um, and plus, you know, the more prepared you are, the I think the more kind of off the cuff you can be or, or um, you know, I, I think just seeing Arnold kind of play off of those characters more and kind of just you can tell he was comfortable um, kind of rolling with the punches as, you know. He was having fun. No one, you know, and, and you know, people criticize it that we let him get too big. Hmm. I mean, every reaction he does is is underplayed. So he actually didn't underplay. Ha, he's huge. <laughs> he, those reactions are the, the mugging. The mugging. I don't um, <laughs> I encouraged Arnold to try and be funny. Uh, you know, when he was with Danny DeVito, his strength was playing straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this film, he didn't have that luxury, even though he's surrounded by some wonderful, wonderful comic actors. He still had to be the center of the humor. Right. Yeah, it, it did have to, you know, it did have to fall on him quite a bit. And I, you know, still it's there are so many lines from this movie that just like, even I, I knew sure. they were coming. I don't think he is off screen for more than a minute in, in the film. Yeah. It's, it's pretty heavily on him. Yeah. It's besides yeah. a couple cutaways here and there, but uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's very focused, very front and center, but it's still, it's just, uh, it's, it's a Christmas classic and we had, to, we had to touch on it. So it's, you know, just regardless of how it was received when I was a kid, it's still, this is every Christmas for us at least. When, or I guess when a, a writer presents a screenplay or a script and then you have yourself as a director, you have someone as, I guess, involved as, as say, Chris Columbus, all these different personalities and approaches to filmmaking, is it is it easy to collaborate when you have all these big ideas and, and ideas on how to, you know, present a, a film like this or? You know, it's an interesting case uh, here because Chris uh, you know, who is obviously uh, a, a, an amazing filmmaker. Look at the, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Look at the Home Alone films. Uh, look at Adventures in Babysitting. You know, uh, Home Alone is the most successful comedy of all time, may still be. Uh, and, and he wanted to uh, spread his wings a little bit and produce films as well as direct them and produce the films he directed. And it's a tough job. Uh, I mean, I have produced a number of uh, uh, cable and, and, uh, and network uh, and feature films that I did not direct. And uh, on none of them did I not think to myself, well, I could have done a better job directing. <laughs> and I'm sure Chris felt the same way. Uh, but we're very different people. And uh, I think our comic sensibilities were very aligned. I think our process were very, very, very different in the way that you plot and execute things. Uh, just a very different temperament sure. that, you know, uh, I've always worked best with actors who, who, who like myself, 
came from sports, you know, Arnold about it, Jackie Chan, a martial artist, you, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr., you know, it was a, a break dancer. Christ, on Snow Dogs, we'd go to lunch, he'd be jumping rope. We'd come back <laughs> 15 minutes later, he's still jumping rope, uh. unless he just, you know, waited till he came back and picked it up again, but I don't think so. Uh, and, and, you know, so so that kind of philosophy that you approach athletics come on let's go in let's go get them come on guys <laughs> let's give it to them you know and 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 chris is a much more cerebral practiced uh regimented uh style and and so there was you know uh, not an understanding really of uh, uh, not a mutual understanding of how to get to the same place and and uh and that was unfortunate uh, it really was, you know, and, and the other problem was, is, uh, you know, a very difference of opinion about Christmas itself, that to me, it was a, 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 an excuse uh, to put a marching band in, in red vinyl Santa suits, uh, uh, you know, make giant snow domes with with, uh, with, with uh, snowmen's roller skating inside of them and the float and the parade and everything. And to Chris, it was the holiest day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a pop vision of Christmas and he had a much more traditional view of the holiday. And I think that, you know, that that became a factor. And the fact that it was, you know, a big production and his his line producer, uh, still his partner and line producer and former AD, uh, had never even made a film uh, at a studio. Hmm. So, uh you know, and I grew up, you know, inside studio walls, literally, okay. <laughs> you know, so it was like I had the most comfort and he was uh, it wasn't his world. You know, he, you know, you know, he worked on Rumblefish, you know, where you go out and, you, and you're shooting in real places you know, and it was a very different thing. Sure. So so you had different perspectives mm -hmm. uh, that weren't always aligned. And I'm not the only person who, who's had those kind of issues with them, if you ever listen to the uh, uh, director's commentary on monkey bone, uh, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see some real wounds uh, <laughs> between filmmakers uh, uh, there, but uh, no, but mild. And, uh, and like I say, we, you know, I, I hope that today that Chris appreciates the film. Oh, we haven't spoken in a long time. Mm -hmm. Happened to be. Using marijuana before the age of 25 could actually cause changes in our memory. That's because THC, the active chemical in weed, attaches to receptors in the hippocampus, the part of your brain that creates memories. Learn about marijuana at our website. On vacation with uh, his his other partner, Michael Barnathan, uh, uh, a couple of, I think it was, I think it was uh, 2000. <laughs> uh, we were on an island with very other few, uh, very few other people. Sure. <laughs> that was a little uncomfortable for him, not for me. <laughs> Uh, that's good. Yeah, I gotta imagine just with everything that's going on in the world today with, with this virus and the reaction, how has that kind of shifted your approach to um, creative endeavors? I know you, you've, I've, I've seen you've been doing some teaching and some classes and I think there's a couple, um, I think I think there was a, a like a, a reading or something that you were. Yes, no, I teach, uh, I teach uh, a class where in uh, 42 hours of class time, I take a small number of students and we create an original uh, situation comedy and write it 
create it, develop it, write it, rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it, and rewrite it. And then we do a reading for an audience. This year, we're uh, because the class was online. Uh, I teach this both at the University of Arizona and the University of New Mexico, alternating semesters. Okay. And uh, and at Arizona, we're online. We'll be online next semester as well. So I got to cast globally, not just with local oh, people yeah. doing a, a reading, and, and got to bring in Marion Ross from Happy Days, uh, you know, a five-time Emmy uh, nominee, and Alex Manessis, who I'd done a pilot and was in with, and, and was in and was in Viva Rock Vegas, and Brian Haley, <laughs> who was in Little Giants that I did most of uncredited, and and another pilot, and and uh, Problem Child Three was in for me, uh, and uh, and Zane Austin, who was a star of Max Two, White House Hero, uh, and uh, so so yeah, we put on a rollicking good show, and uh, our script this year at Arizona was called Famdemic, and we wanted to deal with the moment. Yeah. And it began when the University of Arizona shut down uh, the previous sc- uh, spring, and a, uh, a female uh, athlete, a water polo player, uh, they closed down the dorms, everybody went home. And so she went home to her sort of nouveau riche, uh, uh, former military family, very conservative people, with her uh, English film student uh, uh, pretentious boyfriend. <laughs> And and therein uh, was the uh, conflict of, of the comedy. But it was, you know, based on what was really happening in the students' lives. Yeah. And we drew from what did you do with your families when you were locked down <laughs> every day? Right. You know, how, how did the tempers flare? You know, did you play games? Did you do puzzles? You know, what did you do? Uh, and, and, and so it was all built out of real life. And hopefully we'll be doing something similar at New Mexico this year. Yeah. Uh but, you know, I think the way things are today, it, it, we should be able to find things to laugh about. And, yes. uh, you know, the great thing about comedy is, is in the worst of times, uh, that's where comedy shines the brightest. This is true. It's very true. And some, some we, we need a little bit more humor in our lives. It's been very serious. <laughs> this year has been a little crazy. So that, that's great. One of the things that I, I've been talking to, to a few people about was with this, this whole, there's a whole pivot right now where some of these major studios are skipping the cinema experience and going straight to streaming services um, or doing some type of hybrid approach. And, you know, to me, it's just always that, that cinema experience. It's just, it's not just going to see a movie. It, it's truly an experience. You, you go, you, you know, you get your, your popcorn, your pop, you sit in your chair, you got this giant screen, great sound system. And you just, you envelop yourself in the moment of, of, of a movie with this, you know, sitting at home, there's so many distractions. Your people are, you know, you're always on your phone. There's, there's plenty of stuff going on. What What's your take on on how this this change is happening? I know, obviously. Well, I, I think I think that number one, you have seen in the past ten years the theater experience has changed quite a bit. That that uh, twenty years ago, independent films were everything, right? That's where that's where the talent was going that that's where the most creative work was being done and and ever since 89 with batman <laughs> when they discovered they could make much more money on merchandising than the actual movies that the studios uh retreated to a tentpole philosophy and they you know uh in the in the michael eisner jeffrey katzenberg era at disney 
They were making, I believe, some somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 films a year. Warner Brothers, like 38. Uh, Universal, probably like 28 to 32. And you look at the output today, and it's less than a third of that. Uh, and and, and they are not the, the family market that I uh, worked in for decades. Uh, films like Beethoven, uh, they don't make those for theaters anymore. Uh, the family film has been totally taken over by the CGI animated film, right. and every studio has uh, their own uh, their own Pixar. Their Sony ha- ha- has 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 their animation unit. Universal has DreamWorks and Blue Sky, and they got uh, and and they got they got Illumination, where I have a, a film that they're developing right now. The reliance on the giant hits that fuel the merchandising. That's why the superhero film has become so dominant, yeah. uh, because there's so much merchandising that can be done from it. And, and you know, the big CGI films, which cost $250 million right. <laughs> to make. And, you know, the, how many minions uh, are, do, you, do your kids have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, th- this, is, this is where it's been headed. And they have created a theatrical experience that is that is enormous and right now that venue has been taken from them mm-hmm. you know it is silly for them to release a 400 million dollar marvel movie where you can't fill a theater yeah. six seven times a day so there's no return on that so they're investing in their streaming services and you know i think wonder woman 1984 will do a lot more for hbo max than the flight attendant, which is a great, great series, <laughs> limited series, ten hours. But you know what choice do they have? Warner Brothers is coming under attack. They're releasing all their 2021 films, yeah. uh, and this started with Scooby Doo. When uh, now Scoob, you know, did not get the returns that uh, say Trolls did their opening weekend did 84 million dollars in pay per view. Scooby Doo did not. Uh, accomplish that uh, did respectably, I believe. But I, I think you know, given a choice between empty theaters and and propping up their own their own services, I think they'll prop up themselves. And when and when life returns, and people are going out and going to restaurants and eating raisinets in theaters again, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they will embrace it and continue to pump out the bigger films. But I think a lot of things, a lot of genres have been relegated in the process. And I think romantic comedies in particular are becoming the domain of the streaming world. Right. Yeah. Definitely seen a lot. And also the opportunity to do longer pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you know, you you know the what Avengers Endgame or whatever it was. You know, is what four hours. But hell, you know, look look at Fargo. They're doing ten hour, ten period hours a year, and with big name cast and a huge canvas and beautiful storytelling. And you can't do that in the theater. But it, uh, it is part of the new television, and I think that's going to give people an opportunity to expand their visions. Uh, and rather than than you know to curtail them and, and to focus them so narrowly on a specific audience, yeah. Is there anything about how this the shift in in kind of where you get you know the most attention or with the technology that 
that really sparks your creativity, something you're really passionate about that you hope to be working on in the next couple of years? Uh, I, I think I, I, I don't know if the, if the parade has totally passed me by, but, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not working that hard towards getting back on the floor, Mm -hmm. uh, these days, you know, there are things that I'm very interested in doing and, and am, and am pursuing them, but it's not the end all anymore. You know, I've been, I, I was very, very young when I started working, I was 22 and by the time I was 24, I think I'd done like 85 episodes of TV already. Uh, and like I say, the, the, the feature business has changed dramatically. And, you know, there are things you, you want to do, but uh, I'm not waiting for something like Jingle All the Way to, that, that somebody says, hey, here's a script you might really like. And there here I am, a huge toy collector. I got a big book on all my collections coming out in the spring, my life and toys. And there were there on page one, they were manufacturing toys. Oh, I get to Turbo Man. Oh, I get to have a Turbo Man collection. Yeah. And yeah, I do have a great Turbo Man collection now. <laughs> As but, you should. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, we never even got to shoot the scene where they're making the toy because it needed so much pre-production time oh, yeah. to, just to make a toy. Who knew? <laughs> Well, let's um, let's jump into the the collecting business. I mean, that's that's part of enjoying the nostalgia. As I, I can see this this amazing collection behind you as well. And um, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really excited when I heard that this this book was coming out. So, is this is it focused purely on on your collection? Is it part memoir? Well, my my collections and my work are very intertwined. Yeah, uh, that so many of the things I collect were things that I was a part of, like Happy Days and Mork and Mindy and Leave it to Beaver yeah. and, and the Munsters, even, although that never got off the ground twice. But, <laughs> but I still have a wonderful Munsters collection. And the things from my childhood, Howdy Doody, which was so influential yeah. in, in pointing me uh, to television, which was a new medium at the time and, and something I was uh, addicted to beyond belief and wanted to be a part of. And and later got to work with Buffalo Bob Smith, the host of Howdy Doody, uh, did a cameo for me in Problem Child 2. And uh, and in the picture there, I, I look about as happy as I have ever been <laughs> standing next to him. And so, uh, and, and the, the other things, comedy and old comedians, Chaplin, the Marx Brothers in particular, uh, huge influences in my work and career direction. <laughs> my wife has been wonderful and that she's never uh restricted like many people i know who collect say well you can put it in your office yeah. or you can have a shelf <laughs> we have a house <laughs> and it's filled with all of our stuff oh. and uh, it's colorful and it's life affirming and uh and it's a pretty good collection just thousands and thousands of pieces of things I love as Superman and, and old kids shows, Hulk Hogan, uh, uh, old TV cowboys and movie cowboys. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's unending. I mean, the book is, the book is five over, over 500 pages oh, wow. uh, and over a thousand pictures uh, shot by my brother-in-law, Joe Pellegrini, who's uh, one of the top commercial photographers in the country, every subway sandwich that you've seen in an ad, <laughs> in a billboard, in a magazine ad, in the store and displays, uh, and where you order, he took every one of them. <laughs> you know, the guy who spends his days, you know, making Coke bottles sweat and yep. taking pictures. 
<laughs> and uh, it's just beautiful. And uh, and I spent uh, much too much time uh, uh, writing about these things and and my relationship to them, and which was very difficult for me because I'd never written in my own voice, always as characters. I'd never, I had no idea what I sounded like sure. when I wrote. So that took a long time to figure out an attitude, a style, mm -hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff, which I, I didn't suspect would be a problem. I thought, oh, I'll just start writing. <laughs> does, I guess it doesn't work like that. Uh, yeah. It's much easier to make characters people cr created. And go, you know how Eddie Haskell talks, sure. but I didn't know how I talked. <laughs> Have you been collecting for a long time or just something that started, you know, partially? I got, I got stuff from junior high. Okay. Kind of, kind of had that bug early on. Yes, but not, not as, not as passionately, you know, un unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, you know, here I was with not a lot of time for a lot of years. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I can't think of many times uh, when I even had a vacation where I wasn't you know, writing something during it or, you know, working on the phone or cutting a, a, something and all. But what time I did have, you know, it was fun to just, uh, you know, go to toy shows. Uh, and uh, they had Toy Shop Magazine, which is, you know, kind of like uh, what eBay is today. Yeah. But uh, you got it once a month. <laughs> and, and you know, ooh, who knew they who knew they had a talking monster hand puppet? Oh boy, gotta get that. Or Gomez uh, and Morticia and Uncle Fester hand puppets, gotta have those. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that flying Superman with the light up eyes holding kryptonite, gotta have that. That's great. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I'm not, not a big, big collector. I, I would always just, you know, like Star Wars was my thing. So I just, every time I saw something Star Wars, I either bought it or someone bought it for me for Christmas or, you know, what have you. So I have I have a couple things, but I've always been very in awe of some of these in, incredible collections people can come up with. Some, you know, those toys that weren't ever officially released, they just have those prototypes or maybe those the defective toys. You know, they have just these incredible oh, collections. No, no, just, there, there, there's, there, there's people that I follow and who follow me on Instagram who put me to shame. And I have thousands, <laughs> thousands. And these, I, I have no idea how people get that much. <laughs> Is is there something that you've acquired recently that's like your your prize of late? Yes, I I got a a forty one inch by I think thirty one inch uh, cardboard sign from nineteen fifty five that used to be on Wonder Bread delivery trucks in New York, oh. uh, uh, promoting a a tie in with Howdy Doody holding a loaf of oh, of Wonder Bread and it's just beautiful. <laughs> And uh, and I and I hung it above the the uh, uh, the window where you look out and see my thirty foot long uh, loaf of Wonder Bread uh, uh, sign that used to be on the factory in Detroit in the fifties. Oh, great! <laughs> so it's a match set. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I think you had posted that on Instagram. I saw that one. Yeah, uh, it was really cool. Yeah, my my father in law actually collects collects and sells and, and you know trades it's, it's the whole it's a whole game to him but uh, a lot of like the, the old fuel pump signs and old fuel pumps too he restores them oh sure oh yeah no 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 that's a there's a lot of i see those people on instagram all the time oh yeah they're good yeah no they're dedicated yeah it's it's yeah it's, it can be a dangerous hobby for sure <laughs> i see oh, some yeah. of these toys going for just crazy money and it's just well oh you know, i i mean i i i just saw the uh heritage 
uh, signature animation art auction. And there, you know, they got they got drawings from Gertie the Dinosaur, the first animated film, 1909, you know, and and drawings from, you know, by uh, uh, Ube, uh, I, I works, uh you know, who was, you know, worked for Disney yeah. in the 20s yeah. and stuff. Wow. That's incredible. So this this book that you've been working on, it's, it's been a, a close passion project of yours, and it's, you said it's coming. Uh, this is spring? a decade, and we're yeah. and we're, we're we're done finally. You know, it just took because my brother in law is in Chicago, so every time I'd go home, I'd bring pack up a box of toys and then spend a day furiously unpacking them, cleaning them, shooting them, putting them, wrapping them back up, shipping them back, <laughs> and doing this for years. And uh, finally, with the with the virus, I really had a chance to uh, work with a couple people and, you know, really design the book itself and take all the photos and all the writing and put it together. And, uh, you know, that was, again, something I'd never done. And I kind of approached it the same way I would uh, a movie as you shoot everything and then you figure out how it fits <laughs> together. Sure. Well, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so we were successful doing that and, I, and I'm, and I'm very happy with the result and I can't wait to get it out to the public. I yeah. Really can't. That's, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I just, you know, everything I, I saw on, on Instagram and saw a couple articles uh, kind of covering your, your journey to get this book out there. My journey. Uh, <laughs> like uh, and, um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm, uh, I'll look for it. This the spring is the target. Yep. Fantastic. It's coming. It's coming. We're right. in final negotiations with the publisher, so I can't. I can't. I would love to say. Nah, 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 but yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I, <laughs> I know how that goes. Well, wonderful. I I think. Um, what I I made a poll earlier this this uh, fall asking, you know, we have these Christmas movies we got to hit, and Jingle All the Way just was was right at the top. So there's, there's a lot of people still passionate about this film. Obviously I think you, you get still get questions and autograph asks for it. So just know it means something very personal to us as well. Love the show or love the movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's always going to be fun. I'll, I'll laugh. I know the lines are coming. I'll laugh every time, especially when Sinbad knocks over that guy in the box costumes, get out of my way box is it's, it's one of my favorite lines <laughs> of all time. So it's just, it, it has a lasting impression. And again, our, we, we trash, we trash critics all the time on our, on our show. And it's just, Oh, I, good. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 we want to know what the people think, what, what, you know, the, what's your nostalgia? What do you remember as, as a kid or growing up or as a, as a parent introducing your kids to something? So that, that's where we focus on. We, you know, we love this movie. Um, we're going to hit Beethoven soon too. Well, problem child two is another one that I, I used to. Well, well I'll be happy to talk about those. <laughs> Uh, I think we, we would love to dive into it. It's just, I, um, you know, my, my, my daughter is just, they, they love dogs. And like I said, Beethoven was just, I was burning through that VHS as a kid. Just our whole family just loved it. You know, we knew, we knew like word for word, the whole, whole movie. So, uh, I'm looking forward to watching that one. Cause it's been a very long time since I've seen it. Um, Good. but it's just, you know, I, I think you just, I think the, the movies that I think that, I saw a lot of trends in, in, in your filmography. It was just, there's um, like you were talking about, it's just, it's, it's the, the movies that you enjoy as, as a family, not just for one specific, you know, type of movie goer, but something that kids would enjoy, you know, family would enjoy seeing it together. And, you know, just going down, down that list, I said, yep, these were movies that I totally enjoyed and I can't wait to introduce my girls to them as they, as they age and, you know, get to, get to watch this. So 
Thanks. Now, my work, I've always thought about it is uh, it's uh, all of it seems to be about building and rebuilding yeah. families. And and it's uh, always been important to me. And uh, and I'm glad that comes across. And I'm glad that uh, people enjoy it and continue to. And they eh, after they start shaving. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, it's great because I think you can at different points in your life, you can go back to these films and get a, something different out of it. Obviously, when I saw the Jingle All the Way as a kid, this came out in oh, '96. I was I was 11, so I, I perfect age for I was a kid that I wanted the thing. You're in my target, Eric. <laughs> exactly. And now, now me as an adult, I can see the craziness and you know the kids asking for some toy that's impossible. So that that kind of stuff's coming for for us, but um, you you can relate to it on different levels. So just it's it's fantastic. I love it. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, thanks for the time, you know, today. I, I know just trying to find a slot was was a bit of a challenge. I appreciate you making some time for us today. Anyone that listens to no us. No problem. Right now, You're my number one customer. Right there you now. go. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, greatly appreciate it. And um, hey, when we, we circle back for, for Beethoven next year, maybe I'll, I'll give you a holler. 30th and... anniversary, April. <laughs> awesome. Just hopefully that coincides to the launch of the book and we can, we can talk about it some more. Ah, good idea. Good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Have a great Enjoyed night. Enjoyed this. Good appreciate luck to you. Bye-bye. The, I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba.